everyone, and welcome to the Voice of Pancreatic Cancer podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Weinberg. And if you don't know about the Zena Magowitz Foundation, we are a nonprofit that's all about the awareness, prevention, and cure of pancreatic cancer. And today I actually have a pancreatic cancer survivor and author, Stephen Lewis, and his wife, Karen. He's the author of this book. I actually have a copy of it. Uh, it's The Ripple Effect, How a Positive Attitude in a Caring Community Helped Save My Life. Our founder, Roger Magowitz, and I have both been diving into your book. So um, welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you for having us. And before we get into your story, I just want to say um, a quick thank you to our sponsors. Uh, without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do the life-saving work that we're able to do. So uh, thank you for being a part of our foundation. So uh, Stephen, I guess let's start from the beginning. So Karen and I uh, and our son Ryan were um, on our way to our, uh, we were living in Boston at the time, we were on our way to our country home in the Berkshire Mountains uh, between Boston and New York. We stopped for um, a bite to eat at a, uh, uh, rest uh, a rest stop on the Mass Pike. And all of a sudden, Karen and Ryan see me and they said, oh my gosh, your eyes and your face and your neck are all yellow. What's, what's happening to you? Uh, and I knew right away, I most likely had jaundice, but I wasn't sure what it meant. So I ended up calling my doctor's office in Boston. Uh, and uh, I first got the nurse, then I got a return call from the doctor. Uh, and he uh, said, well, you know, obviously we don't know what it is. It's kind of late on a Friday to return to Boston. Uh, right now because almost everybody's leaving for the weekend. It was in the middle of the summer and nobody's around uh, much. Uh, he said, go, go get a CAT scan in your local hospital uh, in the town that you're going to in the Berkshires. He said, it, it, it's, uh, it could be a hepatitis, could be a gallstone. Uh, you know, I said, could it be cancer? He said, well, it might be, you know, that's what, you know, we, we need to check it out and get a scan. So that, that's what uh, he said. Wow. So before your your family noticed uh, your skin color, were you feeling any different? I really wasn't. I didn't really have any other symptoms. Uh, wow. And so then um, what happened after you got the, the CAT scan? So we, we went out uh, to uh, the small town near where we lived. We got the CAT scan finally after waiting for a long time. You know, it's a, a tiny little town that had to find the CAT scan technician. It took about six hours. Uh, and then finally, uh, the report came back negative. But the emergency room doctor said, uh, we really think you should go back to Boston and get rescanned because, you know, our scanner here is low resolution. So if, if there's something on the scan, we might not be able to detect it. Wow. So then uh, what was going through your mind at this point? We were obviously very frightened. You know, I mean, the prospect of, you know, potentially having cancer was scary. We didn't know what it was. Uh, my mother had died of pancreatic cancer in the 1970s. So that was always, you know, a potential factor, but I was such a healthy guy. You know, I've been my whole life. I rarely ever get sick. Uh, uh, and I, you know, uh, I've been, uh, uh, eat a good diet. I exercise regularly throughout my life. So 
I wasn't expecting, you know, something like this to go knocking at my door. Right. So, so then you returned to Boston. So then we, we actually returned to Boston early the next morning on Saturday morning. We checked into the emergency room. They finally got us, uh, I think it was the scan later that day. Yeah. I think it was at night I had the scan and uh, they uh, read the scan. They said, well, it looks like you might have a small tumor on your pancreas. They weren't sure. They said, we're, we're gonna have to check this out with a biopsy. We have to do an endoscopic biopsy and they set the biopsy up for Monday morning. Uh, and so when they went in and did the biopsy and they analyzed the tissue, they uh, said it was, you know, the pancreatic adenocarcinoma. So uh, it wasn't a pleasant thing. The doctor comes in and looks me in the eye and said, you have pancreatic cancer. That was a very hard thing for me, of course. What we did not know was that painless jaundice 95% of the time means that you have pancreatic cancer. So nobody had told us that at that point. We found that out afterwards at that moment. But, but, but the, the, the odd thing was that when I first called my doctor on that Friday and I got the nurse and the nurse was asking me, you know, what I felt, what I was experiencing. And she asked me if, if, if I was in any pain with the jaundice and I said, no. And then she, all of a sudden, she knew what it was and she said, oh gosh, it was almost like that was the premonition of what was gonna happen. Mm, wow, and Karen, what was going through your mind when you heard that diagnosis? I was so scared, but I knew that I had to be strong and, and I was, but it was very, very difficult. Um, when he finally, on that Monday, when he finally went through the endoscopy and they confirmed that this was pancreatic cancer, my son, who had just returned from Afghanistan, was sitting in the waiting room. And I walked out and I just walked over to him and you have to realize this is in Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. It was very busy. There's a million people in the waiting room. And I just walked out and I walked right over to him and he looked right at me and that was it. The tears just came and I said, your dad has pancreatic cancer. And my son took me by the shoulders and he says, mom, we're on a mission. Wow. <laughs> and he said, we're on a mission to get dad well. We're gonna do all the proper steps and we're gonna make this happen. And don't worry about it, no more tears, mom. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that's how we got through it. We were on a mission. Wow, what a positive outlook. Yeah. Where do you think he, he got that, that positive um, determination <laughs> well, from? You know, obviously, he got it from being in the army. And, you know, that's what they teach them. You know, you go on a mission. But, you know, our, our home, for the most part, was pretty much upbeat and positive. And so a lot of it he learned from us. And... Um, but we all decided right after that, we all decided, Stephen being the leader, that we were going to make this a positive experience, that he was going to get through it. He was going to go through some terrible things, but he had to go through them in order to complete the mission. So it was the three of us. And then we have a daughter who lived in New York who came up occasionally to Boston. So it was really the four of us. And we were just going to make it happen. 
and and I realized that, you know, obviously it was a big blow to me, and and it was very very frightening. But I I I tried to. I tried to overcome it by realizing that I was going to have some very rough times ahead, and and I would need Karen's support around me all the time. Otherwise, I couldn't function. So I I figured that the best way for me to have her support was to try to be positive. If I was negative, if I complained, if I was in a bad mood all the time, or just you know let myself go down a, a, a rat hole that she would also be depressed and she couldn't give me what she needed to give me. So I realized I had to take the lead in this, otherwise it wasn't gonna work well. And we also had my parents who lived in Florida who were very close with us. And so it wasn't just the kids and Stephen and I, it was also getting my parents on board to be positive which was most probably more difficult than getting the kids. The kids were on board, they were positive. I was positive, Stephen was positive. My parents was another thing. And that was a whole challenge yeah. unto itself. Karen's parents obviously were of a different generation and a different thinking about this. And they you know, were very pessimistic at the beginning. And we had to, with our positive attitude, okay. lift them up so that they could be part of this whole positive kind of like approach. Uh, and it did work. It, it, it really, really worked. worked. It was an amazing thing. Now, also at this time, Stephen started using Caring Bridge. Okay. And, and that was a major part of keeping all of us positive. Stephen wrote almost every day. Every day? Yeah, I made a journal entry every day or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would get back. And I would, I would try, you know, each day was very difficult, you know, especially after the Whipple surgery and all these different things. I had the Whipple surgery only about eight days after I was diagnosed. So each day was very, very difficult going forward. And I tried to pick out one or two positive things out of each day that I would post on. Okay. And when I did that, it was just an explosion of positivity came back to me. Everybody. And rather than everybody calling me and asking me how Stephen is doing, everybody was writing on this site. And the first thing that Stephen would say when I'd walk into the hospital the next morning, he wouldn't even say hello to me. He said, how many kids did I get? You know? <laughs> yeah. And you have to remember now that this was in 2007. Yeah. This is like, in you know, earlier, very early in the days of, you know, more aggressive pancreatic cancer treatment. A lot of the chemotherapy that's out today wasn't available. I mean, it was basically gemcitabine. They didn't. They weren't using much of Braxane, the five FU, the the you know all of these new uh, strong chemos. So th there was you know a lot of. And if you read the web in those days, there was an incredible amount of negativity out there. There right. was a lot of stuff to really bring patients and their loved ones up, up, up. It was more going the down direction. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's still like that, unfortunately, you know, it, it is hard to, to find a hopeful message when uh, facing this kind of diagnosis. So um, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why your blog posts were getting so many hits. Right. And is, is that kind of what inspired, I know the ripple effect, it's all about, you know, positive thinking. 
Is that where that came from? Exactly. Yes. And and the real inspiration behind it is sitting next to me. <laughs> oh. at, the, at the very end of the, the first part, because he got it again a few years later, but at the very end of the first year, um, Stephen had been a professor at BU for many years, but then when he got sick, obviously that we had to put that aside. So when a year went by and he was doing so well, now this is after cyber knife radiation, regular radiation, chemotherapy, and obviously the Whipple at the beginning of the year. So it was a whole year of therapies. And at the end of the year, he was really doing good. And the doctor said to him, you go back to work. And we looked at each other and we went, yeah, but B didn't hold his position for him. So then he found a job at St. Martin at the medical school. And he looked at me and he said, but how are we gonna do this? Because I owned an office furniture dealership in Boston and I couldn't leave. And I said, Stephen, you go to St. Martin and I'll go down one week out of every year. It'll be wonderful. Uh, out of every month, I mean. I said, it'll be wonderful. So that's what he did. So we got him established in St. Martin. He taught for a year. I went down one week out of every month. And then he came home for his evaluation at the end of the year. And that's when they noticed that the cancer had gone into his liver. So we had to kind of start all over. We had to get put everything away in St. Martin and he had to come back and that was most probably the hardest time because we really thought we had conquered this. We thought it was behind us and it was back. And, and you know, what, what ended, up, ended up happening is that when I came back and I had this positive scan where they, you know, they found this tumor in my liver, the, uh, my regular oncologist was out actually having surgery himself so there was a substitute guy there who really didn't know me. And, you know, all he said to me was that, you know, we're going to put you on palliative care. I said, palliative care, that means like end of life care just to take away pain. And I said, you know, that's unacceptable to me. Uh, and I told them that uh, I, I wanted treatment exactly in this words. I want treatment that's bold, aggressive, decisive, and rapid. And I want, I want you to do a PET scan on me. To detect, to see if you could detect anything, any activity outside my liver, liver, any tumor activity, and if there isn't, I want you to give, do liver surgery and take the tumor out. You know, let's get this over with. I said I have my life to lead. I don't want to just sit here and let this spread all over my body. Uh, and they said, well, they typically don't do that. And you know, the reason that they didn't do that, which I didn't know at the time, was that no patient in that hospital had ever survived the liver metastasis. Wow. So, yeah, so uh, finally, uh, they agreed to have a meeting of the tumor board uh, and the tumor board. Luckily, there was a liver surgeon on there that uh, board that once had a patient similar to my case, where the person had a metastasis in his liver, the pancreatic cancer, and this guy had taken it out and the patient was fine afterwards. This was in another city, not in Boston. He, it was somewhere else. So uh, they gave it a try, basically. So you really had to, to fight for your own therapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to say something here. You know, 
Stephen is a PhD in physiology from Stanford. He knows his stuff, right? And luckily he does. And he knew what to say to these doctors. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are in his position do not have a PhD from Stanford and they don't know what to say. And you always need an advocate. If you don't know, you need somebody who does know, who can help you get through this. Because I always think about it. How many patients have died because they just listened to somebody who said you, you were giving you palliative care? So you really have to talk to somebody. If you don't know, find somebody who does know who can help you get through it. Because thank God that Stephen knew these things. I wouldn't have known him. When they, said, when they said palliative care, you know, my heart sank to my feet. And then Stephen said, no way. <laughs> You're going to do this, this, and this. And then we'll see what just go, what's going to happen. So that was a very big deal when Stephen opened up and just said, this is what you're going to do. And I'm not going to sit here and just accept palliative care. But it was really pretty scary from the time that, you know, I had the conversation with the doctors and then they agreed to, you know, do the PET scan on me. We actually went, <laughs> we were just sitting around we had a few days and we said, what should we do? You know, there's so much tension and so much. And then we said, we're going back to St. Martin for the weekend. And, and so we, we, we went back to St. Martin and we had a good time with our friends, but we also packed up the apartment that I was living in and we put the stuff in storage, assuming that I was going to get better. Okay. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we assumed. And uh, that was some of the toughest days of my life. Tough. Because Tough. I knew that if the PET scan showed other activity, gosh. Stephen and I, there's, there's this absolutely beautiful beach in St. Martin. It's called Bay Rouge. And literally the water is turquoise. And I said, Stephen, let's just go to Bay Rouge. And we did, and we were in the water and we kept looking at each other and everything just seemed so surreal because here we were in the most gorgeous place on earth. And yet what was going on in his abdomen was the ugliest thing. And we didn't know at that point exactly what was gonna happen with the PET scan and are they gonna be able to do surgery because we were going back to that. Mm -hmm. But somehow we just kept saying, we're gonna get through this. I mean, there were a lot of tears and it was most probably the weakest point of the whole journey was that week before the PET scan and then going into the liver surgery because we really thought we had it conquered. And, uh, but we got through it. We got through it. And, and then, you know, I came home a, a couple of days after the liver surgery and uh, I woke up in the morning just burning with fever. And it turned out that I had like 105 uh, fever and I had to go into the hospital. I had this terrible infection from the surgery. And, and it, I stayed in the hospital almost a whole month with this infection. They were trying to deal with it. They, they were trying every antibiotic they had. And, uh, and he was delirious during this month. You know, a man who is usually so bright and so full of humor and so easy to talk to. When you're running a high fever, you're not really with it. And every day I would go to the hospital and it would be so frustrating. And his doctor would walk into the room and 
I could tell his doctor was frustrated. They couldn't get the fever down. And one night I went home and I was so exhausted. And I'd always try to be there by nine the next morning, but I was so exhausted. I slept and then all of a sudden it was nine o'clock and I quickly took a shower and got to the hospital. And I was, my heart was pounding because I knew I was late because I was, it was most probably 10 o'clock. And uh, Stephen looked like hell the night before. And I walked into the room and he was sitting up in bed and he says, why are you late? Oh my God. And I went, Stephen, you're here, you're here. And he said, I'm here, but why are you so late? He didn't know, he had no idea what had gone on for a month. He was gone, oh, right? Wow. And he was back, he was back. And so we went out of the hospital a few days after that. And then he had drains in him for about a month, two months. I don't know how long. At least two months. We actually went to my nephew's wedding, which was a few weeks later, in a tuxedo with all his drains, you know, wrapped around his body. It was so crazy. But we went. And, uh, and after that, everything just seemed to get better little by little by little. And... That was it. And that was how many years ago? That was in 2010. Uh, 2010. Yeah. So we're 11 years past that. And then I was very lucky late in that year to find a job teaching at the medical school in St. Kitts. So I, I went back to the Caribbean for three more years. Yeah. And back and forth, going back for checkups and, and things like Always. that. Karen would come down right. uh, as much as she could. And um, you know what? We made it work. And finally, when two years passed, after and, and by the way, uh, the one thing I didn't mention was that because of the infection that I had after the oh, liver yeah. surgery, I, I, I never even had chemo afterwards because the, my immune system was so weakened from the inf infection, they were afraid it, it would compromise me. And the problem was that the chemo would have had to have been given sooner than they could give it. So the, the window of time closed because I was you know, yeah. dealing with the infection. And, so they didn't even do chemo. And, and uh, then we were frightened that yeah. he didn't have yeah, the chemo. Yeah, that was very scary because, you know, when you take chemo away from a cancer patient, <laughs> it, they get scared. Right. So, you know, we, we went, we got second opinions, but whatever it was, you know, I never had chemo. And, um, uh, and then two years went by and I kept having clean scans and I kept having, you know, low CA-19-9 everything was normal. And then after two years, my oncologist, you know, still at the original hospital where I had the Whipple said to me, I'll see you socially from now on. And that was it. Um, that was it. What, what, what was the feeling hearing that? <laughs> it's hard. You know, it's really hard to talk about it. I didn't think this would be so hard. But one of the reasons why Stephen did not want to write the book, I was the one and I literally forced him <laughs> into writing the book. But he didn't want to rehash all of this again because it's very hard. It was a very hard journey for both of us. And I said, Stephen, you must do it because there are so many people who will be going through this and they need to see how you got through this journey. It's so important. And, I, yeah, I just wanted to run away from yes. it. 
I didn't want anything to do with it. And she kept forcing me to do it. And, and you know, what ended up happening was that I had, I, had put, I had put the whole experience in a place in my brain where it was, it, I, I, I was disconnecting myself. And, and Karen had to keep reminding me of what went on. And so she was like the prompt for, for each of the parts of the book. And then I filled in the details once I allowed myself to think about it. It, it really yeah. took a while for him to realize that it, it is such an important uh, history that he had over those few years and that it had to be documented. And, you yeah. know, and so many people, when so many people have told him since, thank you for writing that book, yeah. for sharing your story. And every time he'll say to me, because he's still an advocate for many PC patients and, and he'll always say to me, I feel so good about talking about it now. But back then it was yeah. still too fresh. And so it was hard. So he took a little bit of time. I don't know, maybe a year after the liver. And and and, and I finished the book. And, I had started it before yeah, the liver yeah. problem. But it yeah. but it took time yeah. to really finish to it. Develop it. But now that he it's in his rearview mirror yeah. for sure, yeah. it's easier for him to talk yeah, about it's, it. It's much easier. And you know, when I wrote the book. There really wasn't, there was like no books about pancreatic cancer out there. Now there's a, you know, there's a lot more. But when I wrote the book, I mean, uh, the big thing then was Randy Pausch dying of pancreatic cancer. The, you know, the, le the, the last lesson. Uh, right. I think the last lecture. The last lecture. And, and so that was a book. And, but there was really nothing about, almost nothing about pancreatic cancer and zero about surviving pancreatic cancer. So my book was one of the first, you know, about that, that, that came out. And it was, it was just a, you know, now that I'm being interviewed like this, I mean, I talk about it uh, a lot. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But now that I'm being interviewed about it again, it really brings so many things fresh back into, and it's, it's emotion. It's very emotional, I have to tell you. Right. But, you know, now what I do you know, in my <laughs> kind of in my second career that I started as a medical school uh, physiologist, I used to be an exercise physiologist, but I switched to medical physiology. So now what I do is I actually direct the course for first year medical students in which they learn about pancreatic cancer. So here I'm, I get up there, you know, and I'm, t I'm giving them <laughs> first <laughs> what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so he gives them the physiology of it and then the real patient yeah. information. And it's such a great thing for these students to learn that way. Yeah, so, so incredible. Yeah, so it really has come real full circle because he teaches 64 new students every year. And so these students are gonna go out and hopefully make a difference in the PC world. Yeah, and have, um, have heard a firsthand account. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story. I know, I mean, I can see that it, it is emotionally. Of course yeah. it is, it is. Yeah. On the very positive side, I will say, we have several friends who have had PC and are doing really well. So I think everybody listening should, to this should hear that because back when Stephen was going through it, there were hardly anybody that we knew who had gotten through it. Now they're like, oh, this guy and this one and this one, yeah. and we're friendly with them. And 
you know, of course, we have this thing that keeps us all together. Yeah, we have a community of long-term survivors here in South Florida. Right. Yeah, you know, some remarkable people. Yes. Uh, and um, we've gotten to know them. It's been a great experience. And, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of, now that I've sort of transitioned from patient to survivor and then to advocate. So I do a lot of ad advocacy work. I'm sort of, I coach patients from time to time. I'm on Facebook a lot uh, with this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and being the teacher or the course director in this course, it really, I think more about it. So, and, and when you think about it, you realize that there's, in addition to obviously the, the bad physical stuff that you have to deal with with pancreatic cancer, there's the whole issue of the emotional devastation for patients and their families. And that's really where I think that having a positive attitude can make a major difference. I mean, there's no guarantee that a positive attitude can make you survive longer. I mean, we have to be honest about that, but what it can do is that it, it can bring all of the, the patient, the loved ones uh, and family and so on as, as much as possible into a positive perspective because, you know, I mean, when you're around pancreatic cancer, you know that each case is different, each case is complicated. And in order to sort of ride the roller coaster where you good news and then you get bad news, if you can keep an even keel at least, you know, by being positive, it's a big, big uh, help. And that's a great transition into to your book, The Ripple Effect. I mean, you wanna explain that concept? So, so, so the concept came from just that, from going through it with a positive attitude and realizing that if I didn't do that, you know, I, I would have all these people sort of uh, collapsing around me. There's just so much complaint and, and so on that even loved ones can hear before they, you know, don't have the spirit anymore to deal with you. So you have to keep a positive spirit because you have to think of not only yourself going through this, but your loved one bearing the emotional, you know, toll of it because it's it's a big deal. So that that's where a lot of the positivity I think can be very important. And um, yeah, and, and you know, again, use of use of ways of communicating uh, like uh, CaringBridge because that lets you get your your story out without you know having to you know it, it, if you have a, a reasonable number of friends just the you know if karen had to deal with all the phone calls she wouldn't have been able to yeah. do it it would have been very you know, difficult it would have taken it would have sucked the energy out of her. you know yeah. what what do i say to this person what do i say to that right. person right. you know and each person would going to make comments that are you know may be positive might be negative and you have to deal with that so so communication, thinking about all this and trying to organize, you know, your life around it. I mean, it's reality. I mean, you have, you have to go through it. You have to bear up to the reality of organizing your life around, you know, a disease that is with you. You didn't expect to have it, but it's there. And, you know, this is the reality of the situation. So. He truly, so how would you answer? Sorry, Karen, go ahead. That's I was just going to say, he truly is a miracle. And we realize this every single day. 
And I will tell you that there isn't a day that goes by that we don't look at each other and we have this little thing where we go <laughs> like this and, and it just means it's you and me against the world. And that's started during the PC, during him going through all of this, we just wanted to be there for each other. Because if I was gonna lose him, I wanted every ounce of him before that time came. So he had to be there for me, all right? And, um, but I'll tell you what I did. As a caretaker, I went into robotic mode. Robotic mode means that you just go forward and your emotions are gone. You do whatever you have to do to get through the day. And I still worked. I was, I was exercising, I was working, and then I'd go to the hospital. And I, you know, I tried to make my life as normal as, normal as, as yeah. I could make it, realizing I was taking yeah. care of a man who was, had pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Okay. But um, somebody once said to me at that point, they said, Karen, you have to put on your oxygen mask first. And I'll never forget that. It was the best piece of advice. And I did, but I did everything as a robot. I mean, right now tears are coming down because I'm talking about it because I'm not the robot anymore. Now I'm back to being me. Back then I was definitely on robotic mode and that helped me get through it. Yeah. And, I, and I've also had to deal, I mean, I'm not complaining about it because it, 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 I'm very fortunate in this way, but I've had to deal with being a little bit of a freak among pancreatic cancer patients in that not only did I survive, but I survived as intact as I am because I, you know, my health is extremely robust. I go to the gym three to four times a week, do strenuous workouts, weightlifting, aerobics, everything. So I have, I, and I have a full-time career and I'm not a youngster anymore, I'm 72. So I, you know, I do everything and, I don't have any special diets. I don't take medicines. I mean, I take the Creon that nearly all people have had the Whipple take, but you know, sometimes I feel a little bit like an oddball in the pancreatic cancer world. I have to tell you about them. Yeah, but, I mean, you, really, um, yeah. you really do have a miraculous story. And um, I mean, from what you've shared, it seems that a part of that reason is, you know, this positive support that you had in your wife and and just having that determination to to continue to think positive to i think that the whole journey has caused both of us to be even more positive than we used to be beforehand because every day is a miracle to us and we don't take it for granted and um yeah you know, we just passed 50 years of marriage on Valentine's Day this year. Oh, and, and thank you. And um, it, it was such a milestone <laughs> because not only because it's 50 years, but because of everything that we went through and it's a miracle that he's here to celebrate it. So. Yeah, that is beautiful. Well, um, if someone asks you, Stephen, what is the ripple effect? What do you, what's your answer to that? I think the ripple effect is basically sending a positive attitude, be as positive as you can be, send it out to as many people as you can, and, and it will come back to you. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of people on Facebook that I have tried to nurture in a positive manner, and you know, it's, it's come back to me. It makes me feel good. A lot of pancreatic cancer patients, some of them you know, have done very well, others not so well, but 
you know, all, all, you, all we can do in this life is do the best that we can. And I think, you know, ha, ha, being as positive as possible is, is helpful in general, not only in pancreatic cancer, but in, in all other situations in life where, you know, we, we suddenly find ourselves, you know, in, in an uncomfortable situation. And you can apply it to so many different aspects of life besides pancreatic cancer. That's really one of the things that I tried to get across in the book, that the book is, it's not only about pancreatic cancer. That's why I didn't put pancreatic cancer in the title. I wanted it to, to be a story about pancreatic cancer that taught lessons about positive, a positive attitude in you know, other situations in life that are difficult. So that's, that's really the big take home message of the book. And the ripple effect was basically within the family, we were positive and then all the friends turned out to be positive. And then all the friends started giving back positive energy. And then in the family, we gave back positive energy. And it literally was a ripple effect yeah. going out and coming back. Yeah, I mean, we took a very difficult situation that could have turned neg very negative and we flipped it completely to make it extremely positive. And it was, it was not only getting through the pancreatic cancer uh, in a positive way, but it spills over into the rest of your life because you, 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 know, you say, hey, this, this works so well. Why, why shouldn't I do it forever? What's the point? What's the point of just using it to get through pancreatic cancer? Why not use it every day? So it's, it's been a big lesson to me in life, yeah. in my everyday, everything that I do. Whenever I come into a difficult situation, I think, hey, I was positive. I got through pancreatic cancer. This is just baloney, this other stuff. Right, right. right. And so that's how we got through it. I have to tell you one last story here, or as many as you want, actually. But um, the Monday, no, no, the Saturday night, he was uh, on Friday is when we drove back to Boston. We were in Beth Israel all day Saturday. They were running tests on him. And then Saturday night, we were downstairs in the basement of Beth Israel Hospital. It was just Stephen and I in the basement. It was very dark. There was just one single light bulb hanging. Do you remember this? It was like in a movie. It was like it, scary, yeah. okay? And I was about to go in for the scan and I was so scared, He so scared. He was. Yeah off the charts. Now we're the only ones in this hospital. So it was like very eerie. Mm -hmm. And, and he was going in to have the CAT scan. And I just took him by the shoulders. Remember this? I took him I by the, I took him by the shoulders. And I said, Stephen, we're going to get through this. And you're going to do this with a positive attitude. <laughs> and this is just God is testing us here. And don't worry about this. And what else did I say? I don't even remember. I mean, I mean, it's a choice. You have to make at a certain point. You have to make a choice. Am I going to be negative or am I going to be right. positive? And then there are people who said that I, I, I can't. How can I make that choice? But you can make you can. that choice. That's the point. It's the power of choice. It's a power that you have with that each person has, and and you have to exert that. This is, I mean, you're fighting for your life. So if you want to fight for your life, you, you gotta you be, have positive. To be positive. If you're going to be negative, I mean, that's not going to help you fight for your life. I don't think. Within 24 hours from that evening in the basement, 
it made a major difference. 24 hours, he was different. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I was completely positive. Of course not. (laughs) But I I realized that I had to start thinking about how I was going to make everything positive. I had to, I had, I knew that I had this, this job to do. And so over the next, yeah, over the next few days and a week or two, it, it really took hold in me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how we got through it, through the positiveness, through the, the computer, the, um, caring, caring bridge, caring bridge was phenomenal because we have so many friends. And so when he would put, you know, one journal entry in, and then, you know, within a day or so, we had, I don't know, 75 entries back at him. And he'd go, oh, look at all this. And, and the more that he got, the more that he would write the next day. And then he would get it back. And then new people would join in. And before you knew it, he was getting hundreds of people responding to him on a regular basis. And I really feel that that was a major energy boost for him, you know, because everybody was really caring about him, caring bridge. Everybody a little bit of a purpose to put your message out there. Everybody was really caring and that was just beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being here and for sharing with me. Is there anything that I missed? Anything else you want to add? I think you, you pretty much you got, pretty it. Much got it. You pretty much got it. And you know, this felt very good to tell the story. We haven't really spoken about it in, in a long time where we really spoke about the miracle. It's a miracle. I, I also want to personally thank Roger uh, yes. Magowitz and the Magowitz Foundation for giving us this audience. None of the, I, I have been written up by many of the pancreatic cancer foundations in America and actually was pancreatic cancer patient of the year for the National Cancer Society a few years ago. But this has been the most comprehensive way that we've been able to tell our story. Absolutely. Letting me write the article in my own words at length, you know, uh, that I did that's published on your website. And then in addition, during this interview, I mean, if people really read what I wrote and listen to what this interview is about, they're just going to take, they're going to suck positivity into themselves and they're going to lift. That's what I think. That's the goal. That's the goal. We want to to share, I mean, your your inspirational story, uh, get it out there to as many people as possible because like Karen, you mentioned earlier, um, and I think it was so powerful that you said you wanted people to know that you had friends that are doing well with pancreatic yes. cancer because yes. that's that message is it's hard to find. So yeah. and we meet with them all the time, and we all talk about our journeys and whatever. And it's now we're all laughing about it, you know, because they're they're all doing well. Well, thank you guys, and hopefully this is just the beginning of you being able to spread that message and be an advocate. And um, if you want this book, if you're listening and you want to find out how to get Stephen's book, I mean, I got it on Amazon. Um, I'm sure it's available other ways as well online. And uh, you can go to the Senior Magwitz Foundation. Uh, we have it linked also in, in your story, Stephen, that you wrote for us. So thank you guys again. Thank you. Our pleasure. We're always here to help. Yep.
And we'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you guys. Thank you.